All right, welcome back to episode two of Present Tense. I'm Andre here with Matt. We made it to episode two. <laughs> and um, we did the introduction in the first one, so this episode we are going to get into Matt's story, Matt's background, and what brought him here today and the person he is. So I'd love to hear your story. So the the one thing that kind of runs through a lot of my experience and what I've been through and kind of shapes the way I am involves that I was raised in a, uh, a very strict religion. I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. So I just want to put a little disclaimer at the top of this because I know when I talk about it, sometimes the way it comes off is it can sound like my parents weren't good parents and they were mean, and they forced me to do this, they put me in a cult, all those kind of things that people kind of jump to conclusions. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just want to put a little disclaimer at the top that that's not the case at all. I have great parents. They love me. It's unconditional. They have, they're very strong and definite in their beliefs, and they put me in their religion. They raised me with those beliefs because they truly believe that is the best that was the best thing for me every decision they ever made was out of love and what was best for me they also taught me to think very critically and if something didn't feel right to me or i couldn't prove something to myself that was a cause for me to do something something about it so whatever i say or however it comes off i just want to put that at the top that i didn't have bad parents yeah <laughs> they're awesome <laughs> Thank you for letting we us just, know that. We just have a, a difference of opinion when it comes to spiritual truth. And that's okay. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit, but you know, we, we had, I think both of us had our difficulties in expressing that to each other when I, when I decided that I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, Real quick, can yeah. you explain the Jehovah's Witness um, um, background? Just put it, I mean, so the... the the one big part that they believe is that they are the one true religion. Mm -hmm. And they are God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they view uh, God's name as Jehovah. It was taken from the, the Jewish name uh, Yeshua. And so they translate that to Jehovah in English. Um, so they believe they are the one true religion. Mm -hmm. And that everyone else is basically wrong. Mm -hmm. um, they believe that there are 144,000 that go to heaven. Everyone else that is God's approved by God, will live on earth forever after Armageddon. So okay. I'm sure everyone's familiar with that term in Revelation. God's going to kill off all the, the ungodly, the non-Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. you know, I, they don't say it that plainly, but that's the basis of, of their beliefs. Yes. And those that were faithful to God, that, that had died, that weren't part of that 144,000 that go to heaven, they'll be resurrected back on earth to live forever with the faithful that live through it. Um, they give in inclinations that the time of the end is soon. Um, of course, you know, I'm 41 years old now, and from the time I was five years old, the end is coming soon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a lot of that. And again, I don't mean to make fun of or, or demean the religion at all, because there's a lot of good people mm -hmm. there and a lot of really nice, loving people. Absolutely. Um, just as all religions do, it's very judgment and fear-based. And that was never you. Never was. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a good point. Because I think, 
you know, looking back at it now, those are the things that I didn't quite jive with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't agree with and I had a problem yeah. with. Even though that's what you were taught mm-hmm. to yeah. believe. Right. And again, yeah. that, that's all I knew mm-hmm. from when I was a child. Like I was going to those meetings before I could walk and talk. Yeah. So that was my whole world. That was all I knew. And everything is very separate. So if you're a member of this religion, you can interact with other people that aren't mm-hmm. in work or school, but you can't be friends with them. You okay. don't do extra things with them because that's, as they would term it, bad association. And because they don't have the same beliefs as, as you, they might lead you down another path. Also, with anything, as it comes to other religions, other forms of beliefs, anything, reading into anything or looking at anything that is contrary to the Jehovah's Witness core publications is also viewed as a, as a questioning of your beliefs. Okay. Um, I think it was originally made with good intentions mm-hmm. to not allow things to infiltrate your mind that might hurt you or cause you to question. But it become it became kind of a setup of where we need to just have everyone's life be all about this religion. Mm-hmm. And if anything outside gets in, someone might start to question. And we don't want that to happen. And so I think it, it started... Lovingly, mm-hmm. and ended up becoming a very judgment, fear-based thing. Again, like, why, why would you look at that? Why would you watch that movie? Why would you wear that dress? Mm-hmm. All of it becomes a question of your faith. And you have to stay within this very small framework with no, no other outside influences coming in to be the, quote, acceptable person. Uh, when I was a kid, I was really into it. Mm-hmm. I was the exemplary youth. I was doing everything at a very young age, younger than anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was being groomed to be one of the next great leaders mm-hmm. of the organization, not just locally. I grew up in a very small town, not just for that one congregation, mm-hmm. but they had uh, overseers that would come in and, and service uh, a wide area they would come for once a week and be like these special, you know, ultra spiritual people who lived this every day. Uh, and they would guide and direct things on, on a higher level. Uh, that was a lot of it too. I'm sure everyone's experienced the, the door-to-door knocking where the they knock on yes, your door, ask yes. if you want to read the Watchtower. <laughs> <laughs> My father would click through the blind, see it was them, and not answer the door. <laughs> So, kind of pick that up. <laughs> a lot of door knocking in my yes. in my youth. <laughs> I remember those days. And always the super awkward when you know you'd knock on the door and there's some girl I went to school with or something like that. They're just oh so bad, <laughs> so bad. Even when I was really into it, believe that I still felt so awkward. Yeah. Um, but I was really good at it, mm-hmm. and I definitely really believed it because mm-hmm. again, it was all I knew. Um, there was. A little bit of a feeling, I think, looking back at it now, that I liked of being separate yep. from everyone else. So at school, you know, I, I do, don't do the Pledge of Allegiance in the morning. Uh, I don't celebrate holidays. I don't do all the regular things that all the kids do. And I think for a lot of kids that are raised that way, that makes them feel left out and weird. <laughs> that made me feel almost kind of proud. Like, yeah, I'm different than you. I'm better than you. Okay. <laughs> you know, I took it like that. Now, what age are we talking about? We're, we're still in grade school. Like, okay. you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth okay. grade. 
So that's a strong stance for mm-hmm. that grade, that yeah. level, that age, mm-hmm. um, to hold it as a badge of honor. Sure. You know, yeah. that's a lot. Uh, that again, does make you different right, right there. And that's what I was, again, that's, that's what I was taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, as I got older, I started giving more, you know, talks or, or other religions might call, call them sermons or preaching or whatever for the congregation. I did a lot of that at a very young age. Uh, and I think that was really my first introduction into conditional love, because the more I did, the better I did, the more praise I got, and from the whole congregation, like coming up and patting me on the back, telling me how awesome I am, what a wonderful example I am. The more of that I did, the more of that I got. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents loved me no matter what, but still, I got a little more. I could see the gleam in their eyes. Yeah. Too. Yep. You know, when I would do really well, they were they were proud of me. Mm-hmm. And that was a drug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As it is when you're grown yeah. from a young age. Yeah. It felt really good. Uh, and then later on, you know, we'll get there later, but when that when I stopped doing some of those things, that love was taken away. And so I think at a, again at a very young age, very impressionable, I was taught not on purpose. But I was taught I have to earn that love mm-hmm. a lot. And I think that that was something that really stuck with me for a long time. I probably still battle with it. No, not probably. I do still battle with it. <laughs> so is that one of your childhood traumas? We can call I'd it like that. I like to call them yeah. that kind of affect or impact your life sure. now. Yeah. Sure. Um, again, I don't like to be too dramatic. You know, trauma, mm-hmm. trauma sounds like a dramatic word. It does. You know, it's not like I was abused <laughs> or I was, you know shot at or yeah, <laughs> like that. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, as far as something that when we're kids and things that stick with us, that's one thing mm-hmm. that has definitely stuck with me mm-hmm. a lot is that conditional aspect of love. Like I've always got to earn it. Yep. Um, and I think I carried that over into my relationships with other people, even after I left the religion, mm-hmm. thinking I've always got to earn it. Mm-hmm. And when I stop earning it, it goes away. So guess what I attracted in my life? <laughs> People that were the same of way. Of course. Of course. <laughs> and sure enough, once I stopped earning it, it was taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that was just one of the things that I really struggled with a lot. Uh, as I got a little bit older uh, in the religion, I was still a teenager at this time, probably like 17, 18. Okay. Um, I started to ask questions. Because again, my parents did a really good job of teaching me, prove things to yourself. If something doesn't make sense, look things up, research, figure it out. And one of the things that I could never quite come to good terms with as far as what the religion taught, if this is the one true religion and everyone that is in this religion is the only people that will be saved, what about the little 72-year-old lady who's been going to her church and her neighborhood for her entire life? And she is every bit as sincere and dedicated to her beliefs as you are. You're telling me, this God of love, that that's not good enough for him? She's going to be put to death because she wasn't a Jehovah's Witness? What about intention? (laughs) And I never got a good answer for that. Uh, I know my... I, I... remember talking to some of the elders in the congregation about it, and I didn't get a good answer. Uh, my dad's more of a much real-world <laughs> human being, and he would tell me, you know what, honestly, I don't know. I would hope 
dot, 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 that that would be okay. But honestly, I don't know. Uh, so that was one thing I always really appreciated about my dad. He was never preaching doctrine to me. He was always real with me. Uh, if there was something, even in the organizational relationship of the, the, the religion that he didn't agree with, he was fine with talking about it and acknowledging that. Um, so I was always able to have those conversations with, with my dad. And that's important. I mean, you're extremely appreciative. They could have lied to you. Mm-hmm. Any number of them could have lied to you as a kid growing up and they just tell you something, you mm-hmm. know, to protect that badge of honor that yeah, you held. But, for sure. You know. And again, just notice a lot of other things within the hierarchy of the congregation, how people would undermine one another or basically kind of excommunicate people Mm -hmm. because they didn't want them around or didn't agree with them or they weren't in the group. They weren't falling in line with the direction that the, the elder group, the leaders of the congregation wanted to go. I saw some of that and it just... It made me upset. <laughs> there was there was one example of a a, a a man I really really enjoyed a lot. Um, he loved sports, and he had three daughters. <laughs> and again, we were allowed to play organized sports mm-hmm. as part of the religion. Uh, but he was always so awesome about organizing games or a baseball game for everybody or or weekly basketball nights, something like that. And just just a good man, mm-hmm. really good man. And I don't know exactly what happened, but. His daughter, he was an elder in the congregation, and his daughter was dating the son of another elder in the congregation, and something went wrong there, and people got upset, and they really almost, you know, did everything they could to kick this poor man, his family, out of the congregation to make them want to leave, treated him so poorly, and I'm just looking at this like, okay, if this is God's organization, what, what part of love is this? <laughs> like, this is a good yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> I love this guy. Mm-hmm. He was great to me. Um, so aside from the actual biblical teachings, a lot of just the organizational stuff is what I noticed first. And then I started kind of digging into more of the, the actual teachings and realizing that just this, this fear-based thing that we were always had to be so scared of. I was, I was scared all the time of being like, Oh, what if someone sees me with these shorts? They're kind of baggy. Or i am got my driver's license now and I've got the windows down and I'm listening to some music. Ooh, I better roll the windows up in case someone hears what I'm listening to mm-hmm. <laughs> and reports me. <laughs> so would you say that you had a slight bit of relief from this feeling once you're starting to notice these things where... Whereas before you felt like you were hiding something? I think I felt really guilty. Okay. Um, when I was younger. And I tried to just stuff it down. Because like you talked about in our first episode, that feeling of, of wanting to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so this is the only world I've ever known. Yeah. And even though there was definitely something telling me, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. And this isn't right for me. It was still really comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Unfortunately, part of the rules of the religion is if someone leaves, everyone, excuse me, that's still in the religion is not allowed to have any contact with you. Oh, wow. So that was pretty scary to me. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Um, so I decided to just kind of keep going with it. Um, There was, if you're a really, really good exemplary youth, um, you can apply to uh, go to New York, uh, Brooklyn, New York. 
which is where the worldwide headquarters of Jehovah's Witnesses is located. Um, and you can get accepted to go and live there and work there. So that's where they produce all the magazines, the books, everything. There's a whole, you know, buildings just dedicated to printing there. And everything is run internally. So there are uh, people that cut hair there. There's doctors there. Uh, people that maintain the building. People that, you know, clean. <laughs> people mm -hmm. that serve food. People that make food. Uh, it, it's quite an amazing operation. Okay. It really is. Uh, so I got accepted to go and, and work there and live there. Uh, and at the time, I, I took it. I kind of faked it a little bit, you know, towards the end, to be honest. I knew this wasn't what I wanted to do. But I also, I was living in a very small town. And I saw people that just, they grew up in this small town. And they stayed there. <laughs> they finished high school, maybe. Um, they moved into mom and dad's basement. They got a job with the company their father worked at or their father owned. And they just stayed. Um, people that weren't Jehovah's Witnesses, like they got their... You know, their girlfriend's pregnant at 16, mm -hmm. and they stayed. There's a little little slice of Kentucky in California. That's <laughs> was, all they know. That's all they know. Now, and is this your first, is New York City your first exposure outside of your small town? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we would, now, well, maybe like a couple times a year, we would go to Sacramento and go to the mall. This was a very big outing. <laughs> so this is a monumental <laughs> This is like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. yeah. I've maybe seen... Aside from watching basketball and, and, and a couple of music videos, I've maybe seen five black people live in my life yeah. <laughs> before this. And then you go to New York City um, and you just see the diversity. I've never known traffic or people honking a horn was like a big deal. Mm -hmm. Where I came from, like the whole town stopped when someone honked a horn. So the buildings, <laughs> very, how small yeah. you feel and you're a large man. Right. So. <laughs> so yeah, total, yeah. total culture shock. Yeah. Um, but I just I wanted to get out of that small town mm -hmm. and I wanted to experience something else, even if it wasn't where I wanted to be. I just I had to do something different. I didn't yeah. want to be stuck. And I, I don't think I knew it at the time. I just I felt like this is what I wanted to do, but I didn't really wasn't really clear why. Okay. And so just now looking back at it, now I, I can see that yearning to to get out <laughs> and to not be stuck. Is this where you kind of found your Spiritual side, your energetic side, your not yet, not, not yet. yet. I think I was still really stuck on. It was like this whole new world, okay. And there were things, and there were different kind of people, and there was different music, and there was places to to play ball, and there was experiences, and there were girls around, and and there was all these things that I'd never experienced or gotten close to before. I, I'd maybe seen them briefly in a movie or a music video but i didn't know they were real <laughs> so you're in disney world basically yeah i was like i was overwhelmed i was like wow <laughs> yeah yeah uh so i i got a little too far into that mm -hmm. uh, so i was still kind of living a double life right i was okay. i was doing the jehovah's witness thing it's, it's very strict it's very organized you know from 7 a.m till 5 p.m you're either um, doing the morning worship working your job eating and then they release you to go Mostly go back to your, your home congregation and go to the meetings and do the door-to-door -door stuff and all that. Mm -hmm. So I skipped out on a lot of that uh, to enjoy <laughs> living. Your double life. Your second <laughs> <Yeah>. life. <laughs> so it was very exhausting. Yeah. Uh, even at 19. Uh, but I just I got to experience and be around all these different things that I never did before. Um, and like I said, I probably got a little too, definitely got a little too into that. 
uh, caught up with that, and I and and due to that, I had a, a friend of mine that was not a Jehovah's Witness that I played basketball with him and his brother. Um, we were partying one night, and uh, it was my responsibility to drive that night to drive back home. And I didn't take that very seriously, and I I passed out. And uh, his brother was driving, and he was in the front seat, and I was in the back, and they got in a car accident, and they both died, and I bruised my shoulder. Uh, so that was, I'm not going to say a wake-up call, but going back to the basis of the religion, if you don't practice these things, if you go against God's will, against God's way, there's punishment and consequences for that. So that was the most amount of guilt and judgment I've ever experienced in my life. And I did it to myself. I blamed myself for a really long time for that. So instead of it being a wake-up call, it just ignited this big fear in me. And I ran right back to that religion. I left New York because I didn't feel right about being there anymore. I'd been there for um, just right on a year. I uh, went back home uh, to my you know small town. Actually, my parents moved to a s- slightly larger town, <laughs> a little bit, about 20 minutes away from the small town, mm-hmm. but still a very small town. And I just wanted to be safe again. And I wanted to, I felt like I messed up. And so I was at two extremes. I started out in the, the super religious extreme, and that didn't feel right to me. And I went all the way to this other extreme of living that life. And that definitely didn't feel right. So I got scared and I ran all the way back to the other. I figured this, this has to be the right one. I just got to get over myself and, and do it because this is right. And I messed up. Now, do you, feel, do you feel you ran back there because of the comfort? Because it was the safe zone? Or do you feel you started questioning your own questions towards the religion? For sure. I felt like, okay, I was questioning the people the organization but if this is really god's way and this is the way i'm supposed to live this is just the organization i have to do it through so maybe i was wrong with the teachings the teachings part of it, the doctrine this all must be right because mm-hmm. i went against it and look what happened to me mm-hmm. <laughs> and again that's part of the brainwashing that they stick in from a really young age mm-hmm. i know that now <laughs> but back then i really felt like i was responsible for the death of those of those two young men, because I went against God's will, and so my my price for that was to live with the guilt of their death. So I ran back to it hardcore, and I was all the way back in. Mm-hmm. I, I reclaimed my my throne as as the young leader. I was 20, 20 21 at this time, mm-hmm. so I was able to do more adult things and have more of a leadership role. And I carried that for about another year, pretty strong. And then those same feelings started coming back. <laughs> like, does this make sense? Is this right? And again, asking those same questions, now I've become a little more versed with, with scripture and verse and could make more sense of that. And I remember the one thing that, that always got me the most was that the Bible clearly states if this is your book and this is what you believe, the Bible very clearly states that God is love. The Bible also clearly states there's no judgment in love. So this whole notion of judgment day 
Armageddon, at the end, you'll be judged if you're good or bad. I couldn't, I couldn't rationalize that one <laughs> anymore. And that one stuck with me. And I stuck around and just kind of hung out for about another year. <laughs> mm-hmm. after that. Just kind of going through the motions, not really being ready to, to leave. I was still scared. Still really scared to leave. Still felt guilty. I was going to disappoint my parents. I was going to be, this is the only life I've ever known. I don't know anybody else. I'm 21 years old. I don't have a friend mm-hmm. outside of this religion. Mm-hmm. And once I leave, I don't have them either. <laughs> so this is your life. Everything mm-hmm. about you and your life mm-hmm. is yeah. ingrained in right. this religion. Yeah. So it took me about a year of just floating. And then I just remember realizing, like, what am I doing? <laughs> this isn't fun. I'm not enjoying this. I might be wrong. But I got to go. And so I just left. I, I, I didn't say I just left. I just stopped going. <laughs> I had my own apartment at that time. Um, and I just disappeared. I stopped. I didn't handle it very well. I just stopped returning phone calls. I didn't show up. Some of the elders and my parents would come knock on my door and I wouldn't answer it. I just hid. I, I mean, just... you're early 20s at this time. <laughs> yeah. Like, does any, would anybody handle that extremely well? You know, after what you had been through in a two year span? Yeah. I mean, so I was just, I just remember being super uncomfortable. Um, I was still sitting with the guilt from that accident. Uh, and I, I was playing a lot of basketball, just pick up basketball at that time, and I got um, kind of flipped up in the air, hurt my back really bad, and the doctor prescribed me uh, Vicodin for the pain, and I was just in a bad spot, and I remember I got, I got hooked on that pretty quick, and I'm, I'm not an, an addictive person, like, mm-hmm. I've tried a lot of things, I've been to a lot of things, and I've never had any problem with an addiction type of personality at all, and I remember just getting really hooked on that, and I was just really numbed out, didn't want to feel anything. And that internal judge that had gotten so deeply ingrained with me was just really sitting there hardcore and judging my actions and knowing I wasn't doing a good job here either, but just almost felt like I wasn't, I wasn't worthy to be happy. I wasn't worthy to enjoy my life or to be loved because I, I'd messed up too much. You know? And also that conditional love factor that I talked about a little bit earlier that was now in full force too, because I completely removed myself, and all the love was gone. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents still loved me; I didn't allow them to, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was, you know, the, the judgment and the conditional love were were playing off of each other in the in the in those two. So I struggled with that for for a while, <laughs> and I remember um, I was an only child, and so didn't have a lot of friends, didn't have a lot of young, other young people in the congregation. Uh, period, and really none that I connected with very well at all. And But I always liked music. And my dad would listen to, you know, good music, real music. He would mm-hmm. still listen, you know, even though mom didn't like him having it on with me around, he would still listen to Zeppelin and the Stones and, okay. and Hendrix and all that good stuff. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, uh, when I was in grade school, uh, someone had given me a, a, a Pearl Jam tape of their first album, 10. And I remember listening to it. And I loved it so much. I had no idea what any of it was about. I couldn't understand one word. But I just, it was like in my world where everything was like a canned microwave popcorn response. Whatever this guy was singing about was real. (laughs) And he was passionate about it. And he was intense about it. And I just, I loved it. Uh, I remember I I wore that thing out. I would listen to it at night on my headphones. um, 
because I didn't want to get caught with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two F-bombs in there from Eddie. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of got away from that. And, and I remember after, um, you know, I'd left and, and was having the issue with the, with the painkillers, I was wandering through Best Buy, and they had another, their, their newest album come out, uh, Ride Act. And I, I picked that up, and I brought it home. I, I had no idea why I got it. I had listened to them in years. And I uh, brought it home and played it, and there was a song on there called I Am Mine. And the, the basic synopsis of the song is like we all are individual selves, and whatever whatever that is in there is allowed to come out and is allowed to be free. And one of my favorite lines is, uh, I know that I was born, I know that I'll die, but the in-between is mine. And that just hit me in a special way for whatever reason. And I just remember sitting there and, and listening to it and crying, and I felt relieved at that point, for sure, like I was going to be okay. Like I'm okay here. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Um, I didn't have it fully figured out or, or, or put together. But I remember that being like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going back to the religion. And I don't need these pills anymore. And I flushed those away. Um, so this is during that dark time mm-hmm. where you're kind of just lost almost. Mm-hmm. And this music hits you this yeah. way. yeah. And it, it something clicked. Something clicked. Just the the timing of it, or the emotion of it, whatever. All all the all that put together <laughs> was just the right timing for me with whatever that opened up. You know, mm-hmm. I know that doesn't have that effect on everyone. A lot of people I play that song for, they're like, "Yeah, it's an okay song, whatever." Yeah. <laughs> but for me, it was it was a life changing, life saving thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was still really searching for comfort, though. So after I kicked that. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of like the person who like, you know, gets abused as a child and then they develop a drug problem and then they trade that for a gambling problem. And then they trade that for, maybe they get really super into religion or fitness and become a nut about that. They never fix the issue. They just kept trading it maybe for a healthier issue, but the problem, the core problem was still there. And I think I still had that, even though I felt comfortable enough not to want to go back to those super destructive things. The next one I went to because I felt alone was just wanting to feel needed and wanting to feel important. And so I did that through relationships. You know, that, was my, that was my next mm-hmm. <laughs> drug of choice to numb that out. Um, jumping into those and getting to feel like I'm wonderful and I'm perfect and I'm special. And then when things would happen and... and the poor girl would start to realize that I wasn't perfect and I wasn't special, I would run away. <laughs> because, again, I was, the, the judge was still there. Oh, I feel good. I'm, I'm really good. I'm perfect. I'm great. Oh, wait, I'm not. I don't deserve this. I got to go. And I was so afraid of someone seeing me to be imperfect or to be less than whatever. If that happened, again, I'm scared you're going to take, take your love away, so I'll take it away first. <laughs> <laughs> and I mm-hmm. ran. Um, so I used that for a while uh, to numb. And I, I still kept, you know, the music was still a, a really big, important part to me. Um, and then I remember when I was about 25 or so, 25, 26, um, I, I developed like this five-year plan. This is where I really got stuck into the trap of the, the I'll be happy when yes. plan. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember I had this just thing just drawn out. Because I couldn't find peace in myself or a relationship or with family or with beliefs. So I thought, you know what? Okay, 
everyone seems to be happy that lives a nice life, that has a nice house and a good job. And so I, I laid out this whole thing. You know, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to make this amount of money and I'm going to have this kind of car and I'm going to be married and this is just the way life's going to be. And I got so laser focused on that. And I did it all, by the way. <laughs> Accomplished all those things. <laughs> I was going to say, it does work for people. It does. Not for everybody, but the goals work for people. They do. <laughs> and I got there. I achieved them all. And I just remember that feeling. I'm 30 years old and I'm married and I have you know, X amount of money and the car and the home. And I just remember that feeling of, this is it. <laughs> this this is it. I'm waiting to feel something. I don't feel it. <laughs> and I was so focused on getting to that goal, I stopped to check in on the way with myself to realize if this was even what I still wanted anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I got all these things. And it was like, what was this for? I'm still just as empty as I was. <laughs> didn't have that ultimate joy, that ultimate happiness. No. You didn't feel complete. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had I felt comfortable, mm-hmm. which again, that's at the time, that's looking back at it now, that's what I was really seeking mm-hmm. was being comfortable. If I have a goal that I'm working towards, I'm distracted mm-hmm. and I'm comfortable. <laughs> and now the goal's gone, that distraction's gone. What do I do? Yep. <laughs> and so now you're you're questioning what exactly at this point. After you have everything, except for your joy and your happiness, what happens now? I think I was trying to figure out if there was something else. Um, I'd been very angry at spirituality in general, um, at God, at religion, all of it. Because I felt like it took a lot of things away from me. And so I became like this kind of hardcore atheist mm-hmm. person and just all about success and money and, and the way that I looked and who I was with. Um, and so after that settled out, if I got all those things, it felt like, okay, there's, there's still something that's not right. There's got to be something else to this. this. This can't be all there is. Or is it? And this is just a slog? This is just... You know, my life wasn't bad mm-hmm. at all. It was okay. Yeah. But I just didn't want okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt like there was, should be something else. Um, you owed it to yourself. Sure. I mean, you worked hard for it, you know, so you should be able and, to. You know, again, I, I nothing bad to say about um, the, the poor girl that, that I married uh, before. She was really kind and really sweet. Um, we were just, again, like attracts like. So we both... We're searching for the relationship of you do enough of what I want. I'll do enough of what you want to make you feel how you want. You make me feel how I want. And we'll call it love. But it wasn't. And I realized that (laughs) after it was all done. And I realized that I was just looking for for the comfort. And this wasn't awesome. And I wanted awesome. And even if it wasn't possible... I'd rather be miserable searching for it than just live with okay and be safe. So I put my clothes in those. I got some of those big, hefty, black garbage trash bags. Yep. I put my clothes in those and I drove away. (laughs) Okay. 
Which was um, how you dealt with things. Right. Yeah. Again, I, I, I ran away from yeah. the whole situation. I needed to, to separate and, and restart the whole thing. Um, it felt good in the moment. felt freeing. And then after a couple nights in that empty apartment, sleeping on the floor, guess what I wanted to do? And came right back. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to run right back because I was uncomfortable again. Mm-hmm. And I hated being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I battled that for a long time, too, and, and put that poor girl through hell, um, constantly going back to her. Okay, it's great. It'll work. Nope. Same thing. <laughs> I'm out. The revolving um, door. <laughs> yep. And that was actually when I first started listening to podcasts because I had more time on my hands now mm-hmm. <laughs> and didn't have a stereo. All I had was, was my phone. Uh, and I remember hearing a couple things uh, that just kind of piqued my interest. You know, I'd, I'd never really been exposed to anything else. So after I left the Jehovah's Witness thing, I did go on a little tour of different religions because I was so conditioned to think that one religion had to be right. So I went on this tour. I went to all these other churches and groups and things, and none of them felt right. They all felt like the same beats to mm-hmm. me. Different teachings, different perspective, but all the same thing. And looking back at it now, it was all back to that. What again? What most religions do? Maybe they weren't. They probably weren't set up to do it that way. It originally started out with a good intention, but became fear and judgment. And I didn't like any of them. So that's when I went the whole atheist route. And I remember listening to a couple podcasts and just things that I thought were going to be. He's become very controversial now, so I hesitate to say the name. The first one I started listening to was the Joe Rogan podcast. How can you go there without mentioning Joe Rogan now? <laughs> uh, and he had a guest on there, Aubrey Marcus. Uh, and he was talking about some of his uh, spiritual experiences and just words I'd never heard before. Consciousness, awareness. Um, some different you know, soul descriptions that he had. Uh, he was describing an ayahuasca journey that he had. I had no idea what the, what the hell that was. <laughs> uh, and all these things. And for whatever reason, like I just, I remember listening to it in the moment and I just thought, oh, this is, you know, mumbo gumbo, hippie bullshit. Mm-hmm. What is this? <laughs> but it stuck in my mind for whatever reason. And I remember... Those words or the, words, the... Okay. The words. Yep. And I started going back and looking up some of those things. And then I found his podcast and a couple of the things like that and started listening to them. And for the first time, with all the other religion stuff, it always there was always an aspect of it that felt like a job. Like, I don't want to do this, but I know I should, so I'll do it. And with this one, this way it was just, there was a different feeling in my body with it. It was, oh... This makes sense to me. This feels right to me. I didn't fully understand everything in and out. I still don't. But there was a, just a, I remember just a calmness and a peacefulness within my body that I felt listening to this, learning about it. And it was just, it was just so different than anything I'd ever experienced before. So you become immersed in mm-hmm. these Again, values, these... Um... These words that mean something to you, mm-hmm. where you feel them. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I didn't have any like groups of people to talk about it with live. Mm-hmm. So all I had were the podcasts and, and the articles and the books and the things. So I felt like I had relationships with you know <laughs> these people that wrote the books or, or did the podcasts. Um, even though I didn't know them personally, I didn't have anyone to actually talk about it with because no one in my circle w- was into any of that. 
you know, it was not a, a talked about thing. Uh, so I just remember getting really into that and, and helping. I felt like I'd gotten myself figured out a little bit that I, I was starting to realize, oh, I felt this way because I was raised to believe that love was conditional. Or, well, I do really judge the shit out of myself, don't I? Um, I've never been open to anyone loving me because I didn't love myself. And I remember thinking, okay, I learned these things. I got it figured out. I'm good. So I remember I went back to my ex and uh, thinking I've got it all figured out. I've got myself figured out. And we'll do this again. I'll do this right. Um, and again, wasn't bad. Our dealings with the issues and things were much better. <laughs> but still, there was just that, that core thing of, this is not my person. I love you. But you're not my person. And we didn't connect on that level. And so the first time I was okay with that. And I accepted that. So that was your shift. Uh-huh. This whole thing is your shift because typically you would run. Always run back. And repeat. Mm-hmm. And now you're okay. No, I'm okay with that. Um, I still felt, uh, I mean, I had developed some good friends uh, and, and I was living in the Bay Area. Uh, at this time, some really good friends, people I still consider my brothers um, to this day. Uh, a couple of them are going to be uh, in my wedding in a couple of weeks. Like, I, I love them. Uh, wonderful people. But still, there was just, you know, they were a little bit younger than me. And so, the going out and the partying and, and doing that was still very important. And I enjoyed doing that with them. Sure did. <laughs> but I felt like I just needed to, like, reboot everything. Um, I'm a very borderline OCD organized person I have a schedule and I stick to that by the minute day by day um, <laughs> I've tried to get better at it but I'm still not don't we all um, and so and part of that was being comfortable right I've got my schedule I know what I'm doing I'm gonna work from this time to this time I'm getting up here I'm going to the gym at this time I eat my meal at this time is comfortable for me and so I realized that listening to reading what I was reading listening to what I was listening to it was going to be really important for me to get uncomfortable and to be okay with feeling uncomfortable. So uh, the company I was working for, um, still working for, uh, they had a job, uh, a traveling job, where I would be on a plane every week in a different city. You know, different flight times, different hotels. Maybe there's a gym there, maybe there's not. Maybe there's healthy food there, maybe there's not. Routine, Routine is, is shot. gone. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have taken it normally, but I felt really emboldened. And so I applied for that and I got it. And so I, I got used to, you know, being on the road lifestyle and being more adaptive and not being so strict with my schedule, with my life or feeling like the world was crumbling. If, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I ate my meal late or I missed the gym that day, uh, or had to get up early to get a flight. Uh, that helped me out a lot. And then the second thing it allowed me to do was that because I was covering most of the, the west half of the United States, so Texas back through uh, you know California, Oregon, Washington, I could live wherever I wanted. So I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go for this. So I, I moved to I, Portland, Oregon. <laughs> I had no nobody. I found a, a you know pretty nice condo there on Craigslist. And just went for it. Just moved. <laughs> Which is a beautiful state. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. But totally different than, than what I experienced before. Um, very uncomfortable. Uh, different vibe, different energy to that city. Um, you know, lots of different types of people. 
uh, again, than I'd been exposed to before, but just beautiful. I remember always um, feeling that, that peacefulness when I would, especially when I'd, when I'd fly back home, I'd see the green and the trees and, and the water and that just air. Feel, yeah. <laughs> and just feel like this ah, mm-hmm. in my body. And what I was really trying to do, because I'd experienced so much searching for comfort and seeking that above all else and, and going at it <laughs> at whatever cost to myself or anybody else, I realized that it, it wasn't awesome. It wasn't great. This wasn't joy. This is comfort. And so I thought, okay, if I really go get uncomfortable, I can find joy. If I'm willing to do that, I can find what I really love and what I really enjoy versus just what I know and what I'm comfortable with. And so that was my main goal in, in doing that, in doing the moving. It was just like, I just, I'm going to go somewhere that I've never been and I don't know nobody. <laughs> Figure it out, start over and search for your joy. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was good. Uh, I, I loved it there. Uh, met some good people. Some, some people that I was friendly with that I would, you know, hang out with uh, on occasion, but didn't have like close friends because it was really kind of a reboot for me. Mm-hmm. Just it was a lot of time alone, uh, just self-reflection and again, listening and learning, reading, trying to really get in touch with my true self. Mm-hmm. Uh, I felt like I, I'd always been covering that up and trying to be an image of who I thought I was trying to portray something and coming off super awkward and never really fitting in and always feeling like an outcast because I was acting. And so it was me trying to relearn or relearn or just learn how to just be myself Mm -hmm. and be comfortable with that. Um, So that was a really great experience for me. Um, I lived there for a little over a year and then I moved again um, just just because I could, I was like, okay, let's 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 do it again. Like this, this one worked out pretty good. Let me let me do it again. Mm-hmm. So I moved um, outside of Phoenix, Arizona, to, to Scottsdale, Arizona. Again, same thing. Didn't know nobody. Uh, at this point, I'd sold all my furniture and all of my stuff, and I was just renting furnished places. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't even have my own bed or <laughs> or couch or anything. Uh, was that pre-planning mm-hmm. for the next place already? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mostly because I'm lazy and and you know I didn't want to, <laughs> <laughs> stuff. but it was it was part of the process too. Like yeah, you know. Okay, I'm going to get here, and now I don't even have the comfort of this is my couch and this is my TV. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not mine. Yeah. And I think a lot it was also that attachment mm-hmm. issue that, I, that I was still holding on to a little bit from, from the past of, oh, when I get, you know, make this amount of money, I'll be able to buy this thing and have this thing, and these are my things. And also, I mean, not, not that I was going, you know, full hippie and wanting to live in the woods off of nothing and, and, and grow a beard, mm-hmm. but... I just, I wanted to also remove that attachment from things. So I got rid of the car and I got rid of all the furniture and just basically lived really day to day in a furnished place as it was. And, and it, again, it was a different level of discomfort again because now I've moved to another city and now I don't even have the, the familiarity of, of my own things. <laughs> What's your internal energy like now? Free. In this new place. Very free. Okay. Um, I felt comfortable with myself. Uh, I think I was still searching for that connection with others that I hadn't developed yet. Uh, but I felt very free and very good by myself, finally. And I learned that whatever was uncomfortable, in two weeks, it's comfortable. <laughs> it's good. I've got a new, you know, a new route and a new 
grocery store and I know where the light switches are. And in two weeks, it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one really drove that point home for me. Um, That's stayed- an important message. It's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I think we all miss that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so the OCD people especially, I'm one of them, <laughs> you know. Um, but it's crazy. In the moment, it's so intense. And it's like, I would do anything to get rid of this feeling. But like, just sit there for a little bit. It goes away. Mm-hmm. It, it's not life-threatening. It's fine. <laughs> we all want instant results. That's the thing. For some reason, our our mindsets are set on instant gratification. Mm-hmm. It's always been that way. Yeah. You know, and just in that moment, it feels so intense and like it's never going to end and everything's ruined and everything's horrible. And I just, I remember sitting in when I first got to Arizona and they were like, I didn't see the place before I moved in. I looked at pictures, seen a video and I got there and it wasn't exactly as nice as I thought it was going to be. And I just remember sitting there as a, as a, gosh, I was what, 35 at this point, mm-hmm. 35 year old man, just being weepy and mopey and a total just... <laughs> Little pussy sitting in this house <laughs> worrying for myself. It just it felt so intense. And yeah. I just I remember again through the through the training with with meditating and reading, being able to just look outside myself for a second mm-hmm. and remove myself from my thoughts and look to myself and I just laughed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're pathetic. Knock it off. It's been two weeks. It's been two weeks. <laughs> Um, I didn't stay there for that long. I didn't really fall in love with with the um, the desert has its own beauty and everything for sure, but it wasn't quite my favorite flavor. So mm-hmm. I think I only ended up staying there for about eight months, um, and then I moved here to San Diego. Uh, kind of always thought this is where I would I would want to be. Uh, I definitely wanted to try living here. I just felt like I wanted to try a couple other things first because I might just want to stay here. <laughs> had you ever been here? I'd been here a lot for work. Yeah, okay. I, I came here a lot for work. Was probably, okay. I would come here probably every four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a week at a time for for work. This is probably the place I came the most. Had a lot of customers out here, so I knew I knew I loved it, and I'd gotta be able to scope out a couple different places and had a feel for the area and for downtown and everything. Uh, so I remember, you know, moving here, um, and that 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 feeling of when I first moved in, maybe lasted two hours. This time, uh, I think I moved in uh, the day before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I just drove up, had all my stuff in my car. Got to the place and... and Your uh, furnished place? My furnished place. You know, <laughs> someone else's bed and dishes and <laughs> everything. I do disinfect the sheets very well before <laughs> I go. Um, and it was just, it was it was quiet. No one was here because, you know, San Diego's a transplant city. So mm-hmm. everyone leaves for the holidays. And I remember getting in and I remember, oh, there's that familiar feeling of, I don't know where I am. I don't know what this, what this stuff is. It's a weird place. I don't know anybody. And it dissipated, like, like I said, within the hour. I was yep. able to get past that, and I was like, I remember, I remember that was a real turning point for me. Like, oh, this worked. Like, I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm good with this. Like, mm-hmm. anything can change right now, and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I'm good. I remember that very clearly. And I think about uh, a week afterwards, I met um, uh, one guy at the gym. Uh, became just a really, really close friend of mine. His name is Matt, also, and felt that really like close, soul level brother connection with someone for the first time since I started the moving and all that. And I just, I remember feeling that with him. And, and this is a different connection you've had from any other friend. Yeah. I mean, I saw my friend, my, my good friends of the Bay area. I definitely had that with them mm-hmm. for sure. But uh, since I started the moving and just meeting someone new 
and having that, it was like, oh, like I have a real, a real friend, a real brother, yeah, to that I can really talk with and okay. really be with and connect with in a different way than, like I said, I had friends in the other places I lived, but mm-hmm. not like a real someone we're going to check in on each other and we can really talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's why I never felt connected to either of those areas um, and why I kept moving. So I remember feeling that with him. Um, and I I kind of talked myself into, because I, I took over someone's lease, so I was just going to be here for like, you know, seven, eight months. And uh, so I was here, and then I, I always knew like the way that I felt up in the Northwest. Like I love that feeling of the, the greenery and the ocean and, and the water close by. And so I thought, you know what, I'll enjoy San Diego, and then I'll move... Uh, I'll move back up to Seattle, and that'll be my final final stop. San Diego mm-hmm. was fun. I'll have a great time for uh, you know eight months. Get get a good summer in San Diego, uh, and then I'll I'll go back up to the Northwest, and, and that'll be my home. And I just remember I was I uh, was talking about it, and kind of found a place. And I remember he was like, "Why do you want to do that?" <laughs> I was like, "Ah, oh. yeah, good point." <laughs> I didn't have a good answer, uh, so I stayed. You were setting up the next. Uh-huh. The next move. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd, I'd become accustomed to doing that, too. That was yep. comfortable for me as well. Yep. Like, oh, I'll just be here for a little bit, and I don't need to worry about anything. I can do whatever I want. There's mm-hmm. no attachments. There's no bad things happen, because I'll be here for a little while, and then and then I'll go. Yep. <laughs> and uh, the, he was like the first real anchor I felt somewhere, and it just made me want to like, oh, okay. You know, yeah. I'll stay. I'll stay. Um, so I stayed in, and, you know, it's just funny how that turned out. Like, that was... Making that decision to stay here, not that an area is dependent on, on our growth or development, but for me, it just it opened up a lot of things. And it could have been the fact that I stayed here, or it could have been my mentality changed, uh, probably was more likely my mentality changed, of just, I'm going to be here, uh, I want to really grow here, and I want to really evolve more, as opposed to just thinking that I am a little bit and then going to the next place, and that's a distraction and excitement all into itself. So it seems like this is the first time you've actually been truly grounded mm-hmm. in an area. For sure. Since okay. I left the Bay, for sure. Yep. Um, uh, we can get into this more in another you know, episode, but uh, I was able to uh, have my first ayahuasca experience. Uh, met some people who um, shared an opening with that for me, and I was able to have that. Um, I'd done a really good job of feeling comfortable with myself, I established a couple good, you know, friendship relationships. Um, I hadn't dated anyone in this whole time period. I, I really stayed away from that because I was scared of doing the same thing again, and I didn't feel quite ready to go there. <laughs> so, You're still searching for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. and I didn't want to shortchange that. Uh, I was probably a little overcautious about thinking I had to be at a certain point or I want to reach this certain level of enlightenment and then I will be ready to to love someone, um, which is bullshit, but... <laughs> the five-year plan. Yeah. The five-year plan. Exactly. <laughs> so I remember um, after that, uh, the ayahuasca experience, I, uh, I just felt really healed and I felt really, I felt really safe and I felt like there were a lot of things in me, uh, you know, I would still feel very lonely from time to time. I remember when I would come back, I was still traveling a lot for work, and every time I would come back from a trip, I would um, still have that loneliness feeling a little bit kind of set in. Or even when I was on the road, sometimes just like I'd wake up and not know what city I would remember what city I was in for a second mm-hmm. or what time zone I was in or where I, <laughs> where am I? I'm in a, you know, another hotel. Um, and I remember being really healed from all that. I felt, 
I felt very complete, very peaceful within myself after that experience. And it was about, it was a week <laughs> after I had that experience. I was, I was at the gym and I wasn't traveling that week. And I saw this just unbelievably beautiful uh, blonde girl uh, across the way. And I didn't get, really get to see her up close. But it was a very different experience for me. It wasn't just noticing another pretty girl. It was that same like soul level recognition, and I just I just instantly knew, and my my body knew. I don't like not think no in my head, but like no in my body, my soul. Like that's her, you know. I remember that feeling really clearly, and uh, I didn't go talk to her because I was way too nervous. <laughs> Um, and then I didn't see her again for like four months. <laughs> I would go at weird times trying to find her again. I'd go at like 6 a.m. Oh, maybe she works out late. Uh, so I'd go at like 9, 10 o'clock. No, she wouldn't be there again. The San Diego search. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was just I was just so stuck on this on this girl. Um, and then I kind of gave up a little bit. I thought, well, maybe she just um, she was just visiting or something, visiting her friend. She doesn't actually live here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I saw her again the second time and just felt that almost like, shock <laughs> like mm-hmm. wow why do i feel this way about this person so strongly um is it the similar feeling to when you saw words like awareness mm, that's a good point you're exactly right that feeling mm-hmm. came back yep mm-hmm. same kind of thing like a, I call that like a soul recognition yes thing where it's like i'm being reminded of what i truly am you know like i felt like we we know this before <laughs> mm-hmm. we're here or maybe even when we're, we're little children and we we forget. Mm-hmm. And so when I had those like shock moments, it's like those reminders, remembrance of what I am and what is real. And so I remember feeling that with her. That's an awesome point. Yeah, because it, it's, it's the same the same yeah. feeling as, as when I got hooked on, on those words. I call them signs. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> we'll get into that. And they're, they're not accidents. <laughs> they're not accidents. Not at all. Um, and I did go talk to her this time. Uh, the first line came out super smooth. I, I had it like in my head. Uh, I said, hey, I'm really sorry to interrupt your workout. I just really wanted to meet you. What's your name? And then I was actually close to her for the first time. And I saw she was like really beautiful and like way, way out of my league. <laughs> and I got so nervous after that. I didn't hear much. Uh, I did end up uh, with her phone number. Uh, and I thought, okay, you know, I'll, I'll text her tomorrow and... So you can go on a date, and I texted her like three seconds later. <laughs> Mistake. Mistake, man. Um, and so, you know, shortcut all that, and we're, you know, now we're, we're getting married in about three weeks. <laughs> um, but it was just, I think it was a combination of me finally being able to really love myself. I still judge myself, and I still think too much. And all those things. But I have compassion for them now. And I'm able to say, okay. It's okay, brain. Thank you for trying to keep me safe. Thank you for doing your job. But I don't need that. And being able to feel free with that myself, I think allowed me to really finally accept feeling unconditional love from another person. And she gave me that in... And truckloads, <laughs> and, and and still does. Um, so just the first time I really allowed that in. And then because I allowed that in from her, I was able to allow that in from others. And I was allowed that in um, from my parents, finally. I was able to allow that in from my friends. And because I had this new, 
energy, charge, whatever you want to call it, I started attracting more people that were on that same wavelength and in that same soul recognition connection way, uh, including you. You were a big one of those. Uh, and just like I feel like I, I just attracted this whole tribe now of, of people that I'm able to have just awesome deep conversations with and really love and feel that there all the time, even if we're not talking every day. Um, even people that I, friends that I had before I felt that way, it was able to go deeper. And it, it's really been an incredible, that's the most incredible experience I've ever, I've ever had. It's just like, I allowed this in, this person gave this to me, and it just opened me up to feel that in an unlimited way with everybody. Uh, it's been really, really incredible. Um, you know, it's like, like I said, I still judge myself. <laughs> I still think about things. I'm still harsh on myself sometimes, but I'm always able to come back and like I said, have compassion for those things. And, you know, one, one quote that uh, stuck with me, I don't remember who said it, but I said that one life can be heaven or hell, depending on your perspective. And being able to feel that, that kind of love makes everything feel like heaven. Even if it's a rough moment or a rough patch or a stressful time, it's like, wow, this, this feeling exists. And that's one thing I love about um, my, my, my wife. Uh, her name's Laura. She's always like that anchor for me. Um, looking at her face whenever I start to get a little stressed or a little worked up or forget those things about who I am. Uh, just being able to look at her face. Just, just stop. I don't mean just like look at her, but look at her. See her. See her face. Always pulls me right back um, to that place where I just appreciate everything as, as beauty and everything as perfect and everything as it should be. Um, we actually did that this morning because we, we had a rough, you know, busy um, last couple of weeks and planning for the wedding and, and stress about paying for this and paying for that and, and all that. And, and we just we had that moment this morning where we just stopped and looked at each other and just had that, that reconnection moment. And I said having that with her is the most beautiful experience I've ever had with anything, whether it's any kind of meditation or psychedelic or book or teaching or whatever. <laughs> That's the most incredible feeling that exists in this in this existence for me is being able to feel that with her, and then that allows me to feel it with everyone and everything. Um, and interesting, I struggle with that too for a little bit because a lot of the the teachings, uh, the spiritual teaching teachings that I look at is to be free from attachments and to not need to just enjoy. And I do. I think that's one of the things that drew us together in our relationship was that we don't need each other. I know she doesn't need me, <laughs> but there is a type of need there, even though it's just out of pure joy and pure love. And again, going back to the, the, the music thing, for me, there was a, um, the Pearl Jam thing. There was an Eddie Vedder solo song on the, um, the Eat, Pray, Love soundtrack. I'm man enough to admit I like that movie. It's a great movie. There's good <laughs> lessons in that movie. Um, on the, 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 the title track that he wrote, uh, Better Days, at the end, uh, the song's about like him going through uh, just a self-exploration and finding his true self, like you know the, the Julie Roberts character in the movie mm -hmm. goes through, and then find, at the end, finding love. And he had the, the line at the end was, uh, I'm soaring, and darling, you'll be the one that I can need and still be free. And that's just the way I feel with her. It's just like, you're the one that I can need 
to experience all the, the richness and beauty of this life and still be free to do it. Yeah, so that's, um, yeah, that's why I think I got the most awesome life ever. <laughs> yeah. You finally reached that ultimate goal of happiness and being it's, in that now yeah. and having... You know, it's, it's not even happiness. You know, to me, happiness is kind of a, a fleeting emotion. Mm-hmm. It comes and goes like, you know, oh, I'm... I got a sucker, a popsicle. I'm happy, and the popsicle's gone. Oh, I'm not happy anymore. Um, <laughs> but just that that pure joy, you mm-hmm. know, like that's just that comes from within, and that exists, mm-hmm. and that is no matter what. Yeah, you know, no matter what happens, like I'm, I'm joyful. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm great. <laughs> you know, and that's way better than being comfortable, or trying to be comfortable, or trying to be happy, or you know, that that's just something that is and exists always for me now and I still struggle I still lose it <laughs> from time to time I have those dark clouds and dark moments and a couple days in a row where I don't feel that but it's still there and I know it's still there and I know it'll come back and I know how to get it back so there's still the struggle is never over it's never done that's you not the point you have a better handle a better control a better yeah. understanding of it yeah just when those those dark periods come it's okay Mm-hmm. And I know they'll pass. Mm-hmm. I know they'll go away. I know I'll work to make them go away. And I got this this beautiful knowing and feeling and 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 person to share that with. And even if I didn't have that, or someone doesn't have that, you're always loved. You're always taken care of. All of us are. And that's just the biggest lesson for me. It's easy for me to say that now, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because in the moment in the past, I didn't I didn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. But looking back at it now. I know I always was, and I also know that it was always going to be okay. It was always going to be okay. <laughs> what was I worried about? Even though in the moment, it was life-threatening, man. <laughs> and I was scared, and I'd do anything to get rid of that feeling. But looking back at it now, it's like, oh, there was a reason. There was a purpose to all of that. It was to get here. And whatever pain I've ever experienced now, there's a reason for that, too. Yeah, so I don't mean to make light of if anyone else is, is going through something hard and just dismissing it and saying it'll be okay, not as a dismissive thing, but just whatever's going on, there's a reason for that. And you, you'll you find it eventually. <laughs> just just trust and have faith in that, in that process. Um, and I say it's never over. I'm never done. I will never be all the way there, but I enjoy... I enjoy working to get there. And I think that's the that's the biggest difference. It's enjoying the process, not trying to focus on the destination. Being present. Yep. Being present. <laughs> yep. I, I love that story. I love the the evolution of you, um, the growth in you, the change for the better. Mm-hmm. So yep. I've so, always appreciated that since she came into my job that one time and since we've continued our friendship so yep. still lots to do but it's just uh, it's really awesome to have people to share that with now absolutely alright Matt well that was great yeah I'm talked out that's oh that's over an hour <laughs> we should shut up <laughs> alright uh, we do have uh, if anyone wants uh, we do have an email uh, set up for present tense podcast at gmail.com if uh, anyone wants to send in you know, something they would like 
to talk about or like to hear us talk about or a situation you got going on that maybe you need a different perspective on or something like that, you know, we're, we're, we're happy to do that. We will change the names to protect the innocent. Uh, but we do have that set up and we'll have an Instagram account coming up soon as well that you can contact and connect us with us on. And going on from here, I think we'll, we're going to do like just some topical stuff, things that we're thinking of dealing with coming up. We'll have some other guests on, some friends of ours that have, you know, had some interesting stories and what they've overcome and what they've done to overcome those things. And we'll just kind of see where it goes from there. But thank you very much for, for listening. Thanks for tuning in. See you guys.